Chapter 20 It was technical magic. That was the thought Lydikai kept coming back to. It had been quite some time since he had to think this much in this way while doing any kind of magic. He had tried to ask Vesh if he could, for Lydikai's benefit, translate it into the register he was used to, which founds to use, where to focus the energy, what path it all belonged to. Vesh had said he would love to have that discussion later, and Lydikai could tell he meant it. It wasn't just a way to get him to stop asking, but right now, all he had to do was try and follow the instructions. Lydikai had protested about the try part. Trying, as in, if you fail, Vesh will die. Vesh had been sympathetic, said Tarin would not allow that to happen. Lydikai had been unable to stop a rant about what could happen if Tarin was incapacitated for some reason. What would they do then? Then, we probably all die, I suppose, Vesh had said with a shrug. Then he had added, I feel as if I would rather that not happen now, after meeting, no, <laughs> now. It is a lot more than I usually... Things have changed. Lydikai had sighed, felt happy despite what they were talking about, despite himself, despite everything going on. He had asked if he could kiss Vesh. Vesh had interrupted him with a sad kiss when Lydikai had tried to joke about that he wouldn't cry this time. It was true, though. He hadn't cried. He thought about that now, but tried to not think about it too much, because he was scared of anything that could turn into distraction. Trying out this new, unknown magic, it would have been exciting, invigorating, where the stakes not this high. The things he tried to not mess up had turned into a constantly repeating mnemonic somewhere between his thoughts and his lips. Don't let go of Vesha's hand, keep him upright in front of you in the saddle, lend him connection to your founts, anchor him here, don't think about the blood running down his back, sticking to your shirt, making wet noises. You're thinking about it, stop thinking about it. Don't let go of Vesha's hand, keep him upright. In the hand that was not cramping onto Vesh's, he held a crumpled up, now sweat-damp page where Vesh had listed things he could do if he were afraid to slip, the perfect letters bleeding out over the paper. Everything about the situation felt like a hair being pulled in different directions, possibly snapping any breath now. The strain was at its limit. Whatever else was needed for this to work, Taryn would have to see too. Taran led them. The ranga Lidikai and Vesh was on was lashed to the horn on her saddle. She was unused to mounts that were this hard and round. The saddle kept her securely fastened, but she still often grabbed hold of the edge of the abdominal spiracle the saddle rested against, very sure she would fall off. Also, the long backmost set of legs of the ranga swung in and out of her peripheral vision with every fast step, 
and she couldn't stop feeling as if they would hit her in the temples. Had staying in the saddle been the only thing she had to focus on, it had probably been easier. That wasn't the case, however. She had the slack reins in one hand, but the other she held stretched in an uncomfortable position a little behind her, towards Lidikai and Vesh. A soft, dark yellow light trickled from her body across the air into Vesh, providing literal life support between them. This was Vesh's plan. For him to enter the cold and stay there until they had reached their destination, communing with the ghosts of the road to follow their quarry. He also needed someone to connect to him in there, to be able to bring the instructions from the cold and back to Runa. Taran had made several faces of dislike and incredulity at this. Vesh had been frustrated, seemingly over how he knew there was simply no time to explain, but he would have preferred it if he could have. His mutters that Lydia was the one between the two of them who would be able to commune with him in there didn't help, she noticed. In the end... Taren was forced to accept that it would work, and that Vesh would tell her some other time exactly how. The thing that concerned her the most right now, now that she had seen that no matter what they wanted to call this magic, it at least worked, was how incredibly conspicuous it looked. So far they had been without incident, but everyone who had passed had stared, whispered, not even try to greet them as road custom usually went. Even if no one would actually stop them, the image they provided would spread stories from Orchid to Indris. We need to turn northeast at our earliest convenience, Lidikai cried, relaying Vesh's thoughts or words or whatever they were in the cold through the uneven noise of the two rungus' hard feet skittering against the limestone. Gotcha! She called back, thankful to have something to look out for instead of just worrying about troublesome encounters. She caught a glimpse of her two friends behind her as she turned to shout, and was struck by an uncomfortable wave of emotion. She figured it was the way Lydia looked at Vesh, a heart-wrenching anxiety in his bright yellow eyes, his perpetual frown deep, not letting Vesh out of his sight even though he was strapped to him. He was keeping a spindly finger under Vesh's jaw, against his pulse, making sure Taryn did her job of barely keeping him alive. One heartbeat, as seldom as necessary, as seldom as possible. She was glad they were doing something. The plan was precarious, to put it mildly, but it worked, and it demanded all her focus, and more. The way Lydia kept poking at her thoughts, her memories, the past she had left for good. She didn't like who that made her at all. She had chosen not to be that person anymore. Speaking of ghosts. She turned slightly again. A constant lookout for trouble behind her. Despite the badly covered bloodstains becoming larger across Vesh's clothes, and that haunted look on Lydia's face. The warmth in her chest lingered. Turning her gaze back in front of her, she realised something had dawned on her in that infected argument with Lydia earlier. 
she hadn't actually expected him to leave. Somewhere in this careening back through the weeds of her past, the tether had fully reformed, it seemed. A word slid through her lips in a whisper. Family. Well, you tried, right? Crow didn't know if it would work, trying to address the Ender directly like that. Not as if they had any control over it. Not as if they knew where it was, when it wasn't ruining every idea of reality Crow had. And they still didn't know why they hadn't warned them this time. But they thought back to that time in Kanda, half a moon face ago. That time when they had been angry and frustrated and the ender had come when they called. Not that the result had been the desired one. Then again, they hadn't really had a desired outcome in mind. They were just angry. Crow didn't think it would work. But they had nothing better to do. So, for what it's worth, thanks for trying to protect me until now. You were probably horribly bound by some weird mind magic to do it. Sarene probably forced you in ways I can't possibly fathom. It seems to be what she's into. But, you know, we had a good run. Well, not good, actually. We did have a run, and very few... Uh, uh, entities, Ori or otherwise, have stuck with me for as long as you did. So, yeah. Cheers for that, I guess. Silence. But the silence of a mist melee is a boiling ocean of breaths in the dark, stalking silhouettes against jagged cave walls, primal fears. The thoughts, whether working as the intended communication with the Ender or not, kept Crow grounded. It made everything hurt more. It kept them in their body in a way that was very far from pleasant. But there was still something in them that encouraged them to fight. If absolutely nothing else, the Mistmas shouldn't win. Stubborn. The only thing they felt sure they actually were. <sighs> Come on. Can't you just, you know, swing by for old time's sake or something? Tell me how you managed to come to this second hex on me, even though Serena said you couldn't come through. Are you special in some way? Chosen? Top Ender? Something like that? Do you have hierarchies? Apices where you sit huddled over books and make up theories about Ori? Nothing. Not even a stir. Crow sighed. They couldn't feel their legs. Hadn't been able to for what felt like days. No light here. No moons to count nights by. Questionable flattery didn't work, apparently. Maybe try another approach. What did you do to her? 
Why didn't you tell me she was still alive, still here? They immediately regretted the questions, no matter how much they wanted an answer. They didn't want an answer from the Ender. They didn't want it to say anything about Mira. A shiver went through Crow's entire body, restraints chafing against their skin. You made me kill that lark, didn't you? Like a snake, slithering around Crow's spine, crawling down from a staggering inverted abyss, a nauseating sense of vertigo crashing against them like a wave. It was there. Even though Crow still could only see the uneasy shadows of the cave in front of them, the Ender's presence was sharp enough to feel as if it were always at the edge of their vision. Nothing was forced upon you, Venet. The thousand whispers inside their own skull were, in all their impossible sense-shattering glory, still welcome. It reminded them of things that were not here, not now. If I weren't so awfully tied up at the moment, I'd make a very purposeful gesture towards my chest, Crow thought. A hiss like a tongue behind their ear. Nothing was forced upon you, Venet. The familiarity was very quickly wearing out its welcome. So what are you saying here? That I turn into a cold-blooded murderer with age? I mean, in my defense, there has been a bit of a lot going on lately, and that lock did stir up a whole host of memories. I wouldn't really blame me. The tone felt hollow. Crow kept imagining sliding down a rope without gloves on. No reply came, so they continued. Except I would, wouldn't I? I do. I blame. I regret. I don't kill people. I don't. A mass of breath against their spine. You do. A single sigh against their lips. You did. Crow wanted to blame the Ender for the clear, hyper-stark memory that hit them, but they probably couldn't. In Crow's mind, the tavern in Felhar was frozen in time. Everything about it stood out as if someone had taken a quill terry contour, filled in every pore on every face. They could make out the veins in the eyeballs of the barkeep five oris lengths away the same way they saw every little hair on the lark's face. They saw their own magic reaching out, entrancing, convincing, warping thoughts in the lark's mind. The invisible made visible. Crows saw themselves reach into the lark's head and twist their hands' screws around reason. The short sword went into the lark's throat and Crow held it. They handed over the cards, and when they wouldn't go in, Crow was there to guide the hand, 
press harder, make them stick. As best they could, Crow bent forward in their tied-up position and threw up on the floor, on the vines around their body, on the burning of the hex brand underneath. The ender hadn't left. It was watching. Crow had to fight another wave of nausea as they felt the trembling of intoxicated pleasure from the ender, trying to seep in through the hexes. Then, something they had never done before happened. Crow suddenly stopped it from succeeding, resolutely, entirely. They could feel the ender's many eyes narrow in response. It was both impressed and enraged at the denial. You are telling yourself you want it to end. Crow swallowed back the acid in their mouth. No, this is my favourite position I've ever been in. Don't worry, it could go on forever like this. Nails. Sharp. Pain. Anger. This had been a bad idea. Crow sputtered at the sensation, surprised, gritting their teeth. I will give you the power to resist her. Beyond that, the power to conquer her. Crow didn't follow, didn't want to follow into what an ender considered conquering. Will me into being, bring me forth, call me, allow me, give me body, and you will have the means you have always wanted. With a scoff, Crow leaned back against the wood behind them. Forget it. You see, that's the thing with us liars. We recognize each other, they thought. A grin spanning worlds. A mirror Crow hadn't expected. Power to oppose. You will want it. You will need it. We recognize each other. Shattering the communication between them, Crow felt the ender slink back at the approach of something a lot more stable in physicality. The leader of the Mistmares had appeared. It lifted Crow's head with its trident, poking disapprovingly at the bile on their chest. The Mistmare moved closer, taking a damp cloth from a stone table next to the wooden construct Crow was tied to, and started to harshly clean them off with it. In the corner of their eye, Crow caught a glimpse of the little crystal that had previously fit snugly under their tongue, lying on the same stone table. Annoyed, they realized that the conversation with the Ender made them think things in relation to that little crystal that they had not thought otherwise. Possibilities of release, of a way out of this, of revenge. Incredibly futile thoughts. They were torn away from staring at the blue shard as the mistmare forced their mouth open, 
A stale, strangely oily water ran down their throat from the glass bottle it was tilting against their lips. A few pieces of something dry, salty and tough followed, shoved into their mouth by careless fingers. You have to be alive to be useful, the deep voice of the mist mare sounded. We will not let you die. It was not reassurance. It was a threat. Ho there! Sounded a greeting in an almost unreal tone of unbridled cheerfulness, cutting through the tension of Lydikai, Taran, and Vesh's advance along the Alva Trail. Taran reluctantly halted her ronga, mostly because the rider in front of her blocked the entire road with a beast of a mount. A smiling, straight-backed tall Ori had stopped in front of them, their brown, enormous kega energetically moving on the spot underneath them. Taran saw that the caparison covering the kega's body had Felhar's symbol plastered all over it in a repeating pattern, a stylized version of the two blue birds forming the city's skyline. A road patrol. Surprised they still had those. Priorities ran through Taran's mind. Vesh at the top of that list. Vesh before every consequence. She was hoping for some sort of automatic protocol of social behaviour to set in for her, because she couldn't think straight. Then she dully recognised how poorly her social behaviour could be received at the best of times. Good day, Taryn said, hoping that was the correct time of day to state. She tried her best to simply steer her ronga beside the patrol, signalling there. Perfectly common urgency. The patrol didn't move. She had to stop again. As you can see, we're in a little bit of a hurry. We need to get to a place where I can help our friend here, she said, noticing the vacant tone in her voice while she nodded back towards Vesh and Lydie. Talking and keeping this magic up at the same time was an act of multitasking apparently almost beyond her right now. Anything I can help with? The patrol said, and it did indeed sound as if they just wanted to help. I've got it under control, Tara replied, voice regrettably a lot more strained than before. The patrol shot a glance back at the couple Taryn tried to hide with her body, and Taryn could see how that previous will to help quickly changed into something else. Nothing about the blood-stained, very dead-looking Ori strapped to Lydie looked under control, honestly. Taran could see one of the Ori's hands go for the short sword sheathed at the side of the saddle. Apparently, that small inclination was enough for her. It was too late, very quickly. Taryn feared losing control over the process she had to keep alive, so with a sigh she felt her hex brands bleed into it, take over, stabilise her wavering focus. The greenish light shone up through her neckline, glimmered across her upper arms, through the thin fabric there, brighter than she would have wanted. The unchecked hex on her back felt as if it was grinning at her. The patrol's eyes went wide, the hand clumsily following through with the small motion towards the weapon. 
Please run, Taryn heard herself think. Please, please run. She admittedly didn't really know what happened after that. She chose not to care, because other things needed her focus. She saw the result, however. The Ori's massive keg are bolting in a panic, the Ori trying their best to just stay on. The keg had disappeared over the Alva around them, not showing a sign of stopping any time soon. Taryn hoped she hadn't hurt it. And then she had a heavy thud behind her. No, 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 she stammered as she leapt off the runga. The patrol's keg hadn't been the only animal spooked. Vesh and Lidikai's Ranga had torn off as well, sending its two riders to the ground. Taryn was almost blinded by how her founts and hexes pulsated under her skin, fear and panic grabbing hold of her in every direction. It was obvious that the connection had been severed. She had lost him. With everything she could muster, hexes be damned. She pressed her hands against Vesh's chest, forcing her every desire into it. She had never tried to bring someone back to life with her hexes active before. She couldn't stop it. Moons damn everything! She shouted through tear-dimmed eyes. Lidikai lost all hope for a few breaths. His first thought was that it was over now. Then, he felt the little edges of the crumpled paper in his hand, like needles. Besh was slumped against his chest, and Taryn sat in front of them, her legs folded under her, hands firm against Besh's chest, the greenish glow pounding around her. Trembling, Lidikai unfolded the paper, wishing he had looked at it more properly yesterday, not having been so arrogant as to think that, despite his nerves, nothing would go that wrong. When had something not gone wrong? His eyes wanted to find an answer quickly and darted over the lines on the paper aimlessly before he took a deep breath and found a tiny bit of focus again. Grabbing Vesha's dangerously relaxed hand, he prepared to start talking right into his long-pointed ear, nearly bisected from an old injury and held together by a small silver chain in the shape of tiny flowers. He hesitated involuntarily for a breath as he saw what the paper said. Very well, he whispered, resenting his initial hesitation. Vesh... I don't know if you can hear me. By every moon, I really, really hope you can. And if you can't, I hope this helps in some way anyway. Because you have to come back to us. I don't even know if you heard me before, but... You feel even more distant now, and I... He swallowed as he felt how true that was. A wave of fear rushing over him. Later, focus... You have written here, in your very impressive handwriting. Didik, I imagined Vesh smiling. 
that a very potent thing to use as an anchor is to think of someone dead who was important to me. And in this situation, that I can use such an anchor with this connection to you, to anchor you in turn. I also see that you had written transformed instead of dead, but you've crossed it out. That seems very you. His turn to smile. Despite how cold Vesha's hand was in his, how cold the blood on the back of his shirt was running, he felt himself think that he needed to be brave. I don't think Taryn can hear me now. She's very focused. Lucky for me, I don't think she would like to hear this memory, actually. Maybe you won't either. Maybe I'm not even supposed to talk to you like this, but I don't really know what else to do right now. He put his warm forehead against the cold sweat on Vesha's temple as he continued. When I left Taryn, I was lost. You know all that, I suppose. Anyway, I was in a bad way. I deserved to be, but I got through it. Or I moved forward, I guess. Don't know what drove me on. Spite. Eventually... I stumbled into someone else's arms. I suppose there's something ironic about them in hindsight, but that's probably me adjusting the past to suit me, as usual. Still, at first glance, they were everything Taryn wasn't. We met in another apex, in Ciela, a little place called Premlodaibon. They were teaching there, high up in the hierarchy. Lidikai glanced at the paper in his hand. Visualize the person or entity. Their memory is a constant follower to you in the cold. And therefore a connection to it. Brackets. I promise I will explain this later as well, Lidikai. Close brackets. A surprised chuckle escaped him. <laughs> Damn it. He whispered, placing a careful kiss on Vesha's temple. Their name was Emin. They were a fire and heat elementalist like I planned to become. It was pretty much everything that kept me afloat after leaving Taryn, managing to get to an institute, making that institute be Egelin. He sighed. Spite indeed. Now I know that in any other point of my life, meeting them would have been bad for me. Actually, I guess I'm starting to realize that it was bad back then as well. But it's not that simple. Maybe. Or maybe it is. The thing is, where I was at that point, I wouldn't have let anyone else in. And if I hadn't let anyone in, I think I might have just walked out into the Kajisa. I needed someone who, when I told them how much I hated myself, didn't try and contradict me. Yes, I'm fully aware of how that sounds. They didn't contradict me, no, but they also didn't encourage it. They told me it was the past. The only thing to do was to move forward. So, quite quickly I realized they were a lot more like Taryn than I had first thought. He sighed again. Knew it was the ghost of panic in him trying to escape. Them and I... We could do very little but spend time with each other, put our bodies through their paces. We couldn't talk, that never get us anywhere. But I didn't want to talk at that point. Neither did they. 
they never did. I know now that much of what happened with Emin led to a lot of other problems. Things I know I should have worked through at some point. Just this... These last few weeks you've seen me run into a lot of them. More than Tara never did. I'm sorry about that. He felt very sure that Vesh would have complained about it, were he in a position to do so. Actually, I guess Taryn did run into some of them. She just... Well, she didn't notice. Wondered if his voice broke from memories or worry. Point is, whether it was serendipity or some other form of chance that the Ori from before the Wendrit and Sister's fate... At that point, in that place, Emin saved my life. It was like an audible click. It felt part of him drift into that strange sensation of lack of space. Dividing yourself from time, tearing your being just ever so slightly apart. As it happened, he could have sworn that Emin stood right in front of him setting Lydikai just as off-kilter as they had always done, with a lofty smile from an inclined jaw, always looking at Lydikai from an angle with unclear thoughts, unclear intent, warmth like cinders. Then they were gone, and Lydikai instead felt Vesh's presence like a hand on his shoulder, an exhale in his ear, a grateful embrace. You came back. Vesh's thoughts fell like a light rain, and Lydikai leaned up to let his face catch it. I need you, Lydikai thought instinctively, and was terrified at it, for two different reasons. Either it had sounded as if Lydikai had only come back because Vesh was useful, or he had accidentally just been very honest with himself. He wanted to tear away again, but that was not an option. Ignore me, he added. I can't do that, Vesh thought, like a ripple across a lake. Lydica could have done without the pointed pause that followed. We must move on, Vesh continued, pulling both his own and Lydica's focus towards Taran's presence in front of them. Her hexes had dimmed completely, and she was back to only utilising her tandia. The stylized mortal heart on her forehead glowed with a yellow light. She had obviously been waiting for Lydikai to be able to focus on her, since as soon as his eyes darted towards her, she nodded. He couldn't tell where he was, the cold or runa, in his body or in his head, both, neither, all of it. Taryn helped Lydikai up and carefully loosened Vesh off his body, placing the shallowly breathing fog walker down on the side of the road. She kept her hand on his chest. Lydikai collected the now very content flower-munching Ranga, after which Taryn and him strapped Vesh onto Lydikai again, got everyone back on their mounts, and finally continued. You're... sure? Taryn's voice was a whisper, her eyes a vacant, disbelieving stare at what they were facing. 
I am. Vesh whispered back, a sigh of exhaustion. He hung around both Taran and Lydikai's shoulders, and slowly sank towards the ground underneath himself. He groaned loudly as Taran and Lydikai both hoisted him up when he started to slip. Taran huffed. Bit of an extremely open place, this, my dear. We need to... Forest. She nodded towards the edge of what seemed to be a quite large dealwood forest lining the eastern edge of the rocky dry landscape that had opened up before them, as Vesh had declared that they were here. A massive stony hillside before them, which was the only thing around that looked anything remotely like a destination, was covered in large, jagged holes. Taran couldn't help thinking of them as eyes staring into the overcast evening like the mass of eyes that had emerged from the sky when the Ender found her. She shuddered. She had also noticed the tense shade that had fallen over Lydgy's face at seeing this landscape open up. It looked like an unpleasant realization had come to him. Lydgy had remained silent and was now efficiently collecting twigs and rocks, building a small fireplace. He had managed to get a compact fire going even before Taran had put Vash down comfortably. Lydia's expression was possibly even more grim as he sunk down next to the fire, staring into it. Vesh sort of melted against Taryn as she put him down, which made him end up with his head on her lap, falling asleep right there, instantly. She snorted at him, before joining Lydia and staring into the fire. Vesh, Lydia said somberly. Taryn jumped at the sound, looking up at him, and it seemed the tone had been unintended, judging by his frown and throat-clearing. It was unclear whether Vesh reacted to Lydia's voice or Taryn's twitch, but he drowsily produced a small slit between his eyelids. This is Divine's, Lydia said, the commanding tone gone, exchanged for exhausted frustration. Vesh simply nodded before closing his eyes again and pulled his legs up towards his body a little. What? Taryn practically shouted before remembering that they were probably trying to stay hidden and that Vesh was resting in her lap. Lydia met her eyes with a sigh. He dug out his shoulder bag from underneath his robe and fetched a small screw-top bottle from it, unscrewed it and took a swig, grimacing before handing it over to Taryn. She took it with a questioning eyebrow. I'd suggest drinking it first. Lydgy said with a dismissive wave. Taryn shrugged and obeyed. She winced at the pungent top note of it, but she was surprised at not knowing what it was immediately, seeing as she was quite the connoisseur of terrible spirits. She made a gesture to indicate Lydgy would have to tell her what this was. It's Samaris, Lydgy said, staring into the fire again, with a hint of a smile playing alongside the shadows dancing over his brown skin. No, no, it is not, Taryn said, both her eyebrows raised, unimpressed. Lady chuckled. Special brand, of the Institute cellar variety. What, made of actual cellar condensation or something? It did remind her of Samaras now that she thought about it. Heavily spiced, 
but that was hidden behind something that tasted more and more like rot, the more of an aftertaste rather than a top note if it came. No, just something one of the caretakers experimented with in her spare time. Ligi's voice had become more distant somewhere in the middle of that sentence, and his staring into the fire looked more hollow. She reached the bottle over to him again. He took it and another swig, this time seemingly unfazed by the taste of it, which Taryn couldn't tell if it was acted or not. Your willingness to try new things is aimed at really fucking weird stuff. He snorted. You'd know, he said, smirking at her stretched out hand in which she placed the bottle again. Taryn looked down at Vash in her lap. He was still, but thankfully breathing loudly, borderline snoring, proving he was still very much alive, something that was extra pleasant to see after this trip. She stroked him affectionately over his grey-stained locks, and over the shaved sides that had started to grow out in a soft fluff. She looked up again and noticed that Lydia had followed her gaze. He animatedly snapped out of staring at Vesh as she passed the bottle again. Then he took a last swig, screwed the cap back on, and dropped the bottle in the dirt on the ground. Taryn kept watching him, knowing full well he noticed it. What? He muttered after a ten breath of Taryn just looking. Oh, nothing, nothing at all. She said, her words trailing off in a melodic way that Lidikai rolled his eyes out. I'm sorry, for before. She said then twisting one of her tight curls between her fingers. I'll be honest, I can't pinpoint what I'm apologising for, and it all just feels like... a mess. But I know I said hurtful things, and I'm sorry for that. Me too, Lidgy said. On all accounts. She sighed, leaning back on her hands behind her. I haven't thought about it for a while. Sometimes... I envy Ori like Crow. Being younger. Not having had all this time to weave a whole fucking tapestry of bad decisions and inflamed relationships. I don't know how they do it. In the epices. Lydia said. I didn't even get to a tenth of the time some of the others have spent there. It's just... Too lonely. Taryn realized the admission for what it was. Something that was not easy to. Thoughts settling in her old friend. That said, she never saw a reason to stay in somber feelings longer than needed. Can I? She said, voice all mischievous pleading. Please let me say it. Lydia let out a very long sigh. Then he waved his hand to show her to go ahead. Told. You. So. She said, slowly, dramatically savouring the moment. He laughed a short, tired laugh at her wide grin. Listen, okay? Her voice was warm now, softer. I was an idiot back then. 
they would have had to be out of their minds not to accept you at every institute in Yellow Midrail. You're clever, studious, talented, sensitive. I mean, she held out her hand to stop herself. You're also infuriating and grumpy and overly worried about everything, but... They were lucky to have you, and I'm happy they didn't get to keep you. His big golden eyes were wide and bright, staring into her sincere deep brown irises. Let's try and get some sleep, eh? That wheel of yours made me want to pretend I'm dead for a while. She said in her usual tone, carefully lifting Vesha's head up, placing her satchel underneath it. She started rolling out her bedroll, hoping that meant Lydia understood she was not going to take first watch after everything she had to wring out of herself to keep Vesh alive. And the energy it took to simply not think about the way the hex on her back inserted itself into everything she didn't like, like a rusty blade. If we're noticed by Mistmas, just forfeit this whole thing and let them kill me. She mumbled while pulling the grey fabric of her cloak all the way over her head. There Lady Kai sat, staring into the small fire, listening for anything amiss in the densely quiet forests they were at the edge of. His thoughts were, for once, at a crawling pace inside his head. He listened to Vesha's quiet snoring, Taran's louder snoring, the crackling of the fire. It didn't really register anything that went through his head. There was an air of inevitability to this entire situation that made reflection seem refreshingly trite, like a waste of time. There was no frame of reference for this, not to him. That was something he had thought so many times since leaving Eilitis. He didn't know what he was doing, he didn't know how to behave. But this time it felt different. The questions he had were useless, because there was no other way to answer them than by going to find out. Maybe that had always been the case. He peered through the maze of tree trunks between their little camp and the plateau of rock behind, at the haunting hillside at the far edge of it. It rose towards the dense grey of the night sky, hollows gaping wide like howling mouths. Their travels here had felt chaotic, haphazard, flailing. He realised that he hadn't thought about the core of this whole endeavour for a while, the person at the centre of this pursuit. The present had needed all his focus. Now he could feel them crystallise again. He could almost hear Crow's sharp, breathy laugh at the state their little group was in, and at the three of them coming after them at all. You're in way over your head, Lady Kai. What are you trying to prove? Who are you trying to impress? Who are you actually doing this for? You better still be alive, he whispered towards the hollow eyes of the horizon.